0: This is the J. Scott Outdoors Podcast on Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing, brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider, and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors Podcast. This is going to be a great episode with Peter Munich of the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance and Stone Glacier Backpacks. And before we get to this episode, I wanted to tell you guys about the GoHunt.com Insider Giveaway for the month of May. Uh, this month of May, they're giving away three 12 by 14 Davis Tent and Awning Canvas Wall Tents with the total value of $4,500. And this tent details are it's 12 by 14 Water, Mildew, Fire, and Sunforger Treated Canvas Wall Tent. It has a 6-inch stove jack, a window, a screen door, a Colorado door, and a 4-column frame. Uh, in recent months, GoHunt.com Insider has given away five Browning X-Bolt Hells Canyon speed rifles with a total retail value of $6,350, dollars 5 Zeiss 10x42 Conquest binoculars with a retail value of $4,500, two Cooster hunts in Mexico uh, with a retail value of $13,000 with Dar Colburn and myself, uh, Colburn and Scott Outfitters in Mexico, four landowner tags with a retail value of a $22,000 doll sheep hunt, uh, 100 phone scope digiscoping adapters, and Kuyu backpacks, uh, 10 Kuyu sleeping bags. So as you can see, being a GoHunt.com insider member, uh, you have a chance every single month just by being an insider member uh, to win. Uh, All you have to do is be an insider member. Uh, You're eligible every single month for uh, drawings and giveaways. And I get emails every month from J. Scott Outdoors listeners who are also Go Hunt Insider members that have won. Uh, I actually the first uh, month that I signed up as an Insider, I won a phone scope, uh, digiscoping uh, device. Um, so make sure if you're not a Go Hunt Insider member uh, to. Uh, go to GoHunt.com Insider, use the JScott promo code when signing up. So go to the blue Join Now button, use the JScott promo code, and you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card just for signing up. And I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for their title sponsorship of this podcast. Also like to thank Elk Hunter and Western Hunter Magazine's Utah Hydrographics Phone scope, Outdoorsman's, and Wilderness Athlete for their subsequent sponsorships. And you'll hear periodic commercials throughout uh, all of my podcast episodes. And uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code with these companies, you will get uh, a discount. So call them on the phone, send them an email, order stuff online, use the J. Scott promo code. Guys, I want to thank you for all your support of this podcast. And... Uh, Just excited about uh, the draw season. The Arizona uh, elk and antelope draw is out. Uh, New Mexico was just released. And uh, lots of good stuff happening. We're waiting for Utah. uh, And uh, Nevada just closed. We'll be waiting on it here in a a month or so. So uh, great stuff happening this summer. I want to thank you guys for all your support. You can follow along our adventures at jscottoutdoors on Instagram. Our YouTube channel, which is uh, gaining subscribers every single day, J. Scott Outdoors YouTube. Uh, Please go on there and check out all of our uh, hunting videos, how-to videos, and uh, all these latest spring turkey hunts. Uh, We've got a bunch of videos uh, on there and um, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also go to jscottoutdoors.com and jscottoutdoors.com. Uh, on Facebook, or just my personal J. Scott uh, Facebook. I thank you for all your support. If you want to send me questions or comments, you can do so at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I love uh, getting uh, feedback from you guys, the listeners. And let's get right to this episode with Peter Munich. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I've got Pete Munich from Bozeman, Montana, and Pete is the founder, the president, and the chairman of the board of the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. And I met Pete up in Utah at the Salt Lake City uh, Western Hunting and Conservation Expo, and uh, Pete was working at the Stone Glacier booth and and uh, the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance booth, uh, and we had a great conversation, and he said he is a podcast listener, and I'm excited to have him on the podcast today to talk about the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance and Stone Glacier. Pete, how you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, so why don't you give me a little background on yourself? I understand you live in Bozeman, Montana, Uh, Give me a little background on yourself and then how that background led into your uh, starting the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance.
1: Sure. I uh, grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, bow hunting the suburbs, and uh, got the chance to apply to colleges out of state. And my one demand was that we would have over-the-counter health tags wherever I wound up going to college. So Montana and Colorado were high on my list. And I chose Montana State University, moved to Bozeman, Montana in 2007, and been here for about nine years now. Got into elk hunting pretty quick, and then living in a place like Montana gives you a lot of different opportunities throughout the year. So quickly began hunting just about everything else I could, picked up fly fishing, and just fell in love with the place.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful place for sure. And so going to Montana State University, uh, what what were you studying there besides girls?
1: Yeah, exactly. Bugling, elk, girls, and environmental science.
0: And and fly fishing on the side? And a little bit of fly
1: fishing. I got a minor in fly fishing.
0: (laughs) Um, That sounds good. And um, how did you find your experience at Montana State? Did you enjoy that? yeah i loved
1: it yeah it's an incredible school to go to um you know bozeman's certainly a college town and i still live here today so um, i'm proud to be a bobcat
0: that's awesome and so with all your different hunts and all the things you were doing uh tell me how the rocky mountain goat alliance uh was formed and how how you got the idea and how you brought it to fruition
1: right yeah my uh my first year out of college, I drew a mountain goat tag here in Montana, and I had only been a resident of the state of Montana for a couple of years at very few points and uh, beat all the odds and drew a mountain goat tag just south of Bozeman in Unit 314 and very quickly uh, began to do my homework. At the same time, I actually met a good friend of mine, Brendan Burns, who had been applying for the same tag his entire life born and raised in Montana and never pulled it. And so we had a, we had an interesting introduction there and he offered lots of advice to the district, became very close friends with the biologists in the area and asked all the questions I could, did a lot of scouting. I really had little to no experience mountain hunting at that point. Um, and just kind of dove in head first. Wound up harvesting a mountain goat on Thanksgiving morning that year. Uh, and can confidently say that that one goat pretty well changed my life. I'm just absolutely fascinated with mountain goats from that whole hunting experience. And um, the Goat Alliance didn't come around for a couple years later. I began going on every mountain goat hunt that I. Could inviting myself on some, getting invited on some of them and just completely seeding my obsession for mountain goats. And in the meantime, got my first real job out of college as a, uh, the marketing director of Schnees, which is also a Bozeman based company. So throughout my time at Schnees, got to begin the notorious trade show circuit. So. In 2013, I went to my first sheep show, which is the annual convention, the Wild Sheep Foundation hosts in Reno, Nevada. And that was the same year that Montana's governor, Bighorn Sheep Tag, sold for $480,000. And I was new to the trade show scene. I was new to the auction scene. That was obviously in a lot, of, a lot of money for a broke college kid in Bozeman and I was just fascinated to find out that 90% of that $480,000 was going home to Montana for bighorn sheep conservation and management. Uh, I was home from that trade show for about 48 hours and visited our local Region 3 Fish, Wildlife, and Parks office and sat down with regional biologist Julie Cunningham, who's a very good friend of mine, and I just very simply asked her if there was any volunteer opportunities available for mountain goat work, if there was any kind of organization, if there was any kind of fundraising, just trying to feel out where and how I could get involved with mountain goat conservation. And her response was, no, there's not, but I've been waiting my entire career for somebody to walk in here and say that to me. So (laughs) we hit our, she's a goat nut too and we just hit it off and that turned into a lot of early morning coffees and uh, conversations in her office. So once we formulated the idea of a nonprofit conservation group specifically focused on mountain goats, um, we needed to figure out what we were gonna do. You know, we we didn't have any money, we didn't have any infrastructure, it was kind of just a a kid and a biologist that wanted (laughs) wanted to do something. So our inaugural project, Julie uh, turned us loose on a pocket of mountains on the Idaho-Montana border where she had been getting reports of mountain goats. And she had actually seen a few herself looking for bighorns from an aerial survey. She found half a dozen goats in a pocket of mountains that wasn't supposed to have any goats on it, according to Idaho and Montana, who both share the mountain. Uh, there, There were no goats, but sure enough. They were showing up. So our inaugural project was to have a ground survey. So I organized a couple of volunteers to do a backpack trip, just a long weekend up into this area. And we documented 52 individual mountain goats. Uh, and, unbelievable. and it was unbelievable. So this area, uh, you know, she had been, Randy Newberg also lives here in Bozeman and Randy had been, I think was the first person to convey a sighting to the biologist. So she reached out to Julie and was like, Hey, I'm down here almost in Idaho and we're seeing mountain goats in an area where there's not supposed to be any. So it turns out these goats about 10, 15 years ago, a couple of them came out of the Madison mountains, Madison mountain Range traveled south past Quake Lake and inhabited a pocket of mountains that I refer to as the Henry mountains. Some people say the Henry Mountains don't exist. So call them what you want to call them the southern tip of the Madison or uh, the imaginary Henry Mountains. And so we spent the weekend up there, found 52 goats, filmed, photographed, documented every single sighting, and came out and turned all of our findings over to Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, and specifically Julie Cunningham. And a couple months later, a hunting season was proposed in there. Two tags were issued for 2014, and uh, Region 36120 exists today in Montana through that survey. So right out the gate, we just had all this momentum and this really successful project and um, a lot of really good public feedback. There are tons of guys out there that love goats and just didn't have any opportunity to be involved. So being a young nonprofit with no money we have volunteer opportunities. We don't so much have big checks we can write to you, or we didn't at the time, Uh, but we did have groups of guys that were willing to go break a sweat and donate their time and their backs to mountain goat surveys. So conversations began formulating in several different states that year with other people wanting to do similar things and assist their local biologists with similar projects. And flash forward to last summer, I think we had conservation projects in six different states.
0: That's fantastic. Um, what states uh, were those in?
1: Yep. So we started in Montana and we still annually do projects in Montana. Uh, the next state we moved into is South Dakota, which believe it or not has a resident population of mountain goats in the Black Hills and the Black Hills have been closed to hunting over a decade, for over a decade, and we have surveyed in conjunction with uh, the South Dakota biologists for two years. This April will be our third annual South Dakota project. But last fall, South Dakota reinstated their hunting opportunities. So two tags in South Dakota that had not been around for over a decade. Uh, And then from there, We've worked in Utah in the Willard Peak area, a really well-known mountain goat population just north of Salt Lake City, up above the town of Ogden. Uh, we've worked in Washington outside, the Casc- outside of uh, Olympic National Park in the Cascades. Uh, we're formulating projects in Nevada down in the Ruby Mountains, as well as Idaho and the Palisades, and Colorado's on the, on the short list as well.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, What about Wyoming? Do they have any goats?
1: Wyoming's got goats. They don't have tons of goats. Um, They do have have a limited hunting opportunity in Wyoming in a handful of spots. We have not yet been involved in any conservation efforts in Wyoming as of
0: yet. Okay. And so you've got this momentum, you've got these surveys, and you've been, uh, been able to Um, bring awareness and bring new hunting opportunities to the table. Uh, My question to you as the founder and president and chairman of the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, so what is your mission?
1: So our mission in a nutshell is going to be the expansion and enhancement of mountain goat conservation across the North American continent. So what that means is better herd management, um, more, more public focus and public funding behind conservation efforts and um, raising, raising the bar for mountain goat awareness and um, overall conservation across the continent.
0: That's fantastic. So uh, speaking about mountain goats, um, tell me a little bit about the animal themselves and some of their behavior and some of the things that you've witnessed and where they live and elevations and uh, just some behavioral patterns and what have you t- uh, talk to me a little bit about the mountain goat itself
1: yeah they're an incredible animal um, they are you know an evolutionary anomaly they're very unique um, the not the genus of the mountain goat is orionnos americanus and the mountain goat is the only living species within that genus about uh I think it was 10,000 years ago there was a, another species of wild goat in America that has gone extinct and that goat lived as far south as Mexico um and it's called the Harrington's mountain goat which is a species of mountain goat that went extinct a long time ago um, so since the extinction of the Harrington mountain goat the rocky mountain goat as we call it has been the lone survivor of the genus Orionus. The closest North American relative a mountain goat actually has is a muskox, and people don't often associate the two. After that, they have some close relatives in Japan and China, but pretty, pretty unique on all, on all fronts.
0: For sure. Um, and for, for, the, for those people that aren't very experienced, it's really hard to tell a billy from a nanny. Talk to me about their horn structure and some of the differences in the body types and uh, horn characteristics and what have you.
1: Sure. Gender identification is obviously you know the downfall of the mountain goat, whereas every other species we hunt in North America is fairly easy to identify, the boys and the girls. The mountain goat is cursed with very similar attributes between the two genders and can result in the uh, unwanted harvesting of breeding-age females, which is really detrimental to any population, uh, specifically of a population of mountain ungulates that reproduce as slowly as mountain goats do and exist in such small numbers as mountain goats do. So almost more important than being able to tell The difference of the boys and the girls is understanding why you need to know the difference between the boys and the girls and the repercussions of harvesting nannies. And that's what we're going to be focused on a lot moving forward in 2016. Uh, A lot of our energy and a lot of our funding is going to be focused on public education initiatives to educate sportsmen and hunters across the continent and every state in providence that hunts mountain goats to increase the awareness uh, of the ecological repercussions of removing these breeding age females that are so valuable to these populations. Um, but with that being said, the noticeable differences between the nannies and the billies, um, there's going to be a couple of major things. The billies are obviously going to be a bit larger Billys are going to carry more mass in their horns. They're going to have a real nice, smooth, gradual curvature of their horns, whereas a nanny is going to have more of a straight horn with a kink and kind of a pencil-thin appearance to it. Both the nannies and billies possess scent glands behind their horns, but the billies are more often noticeable at a distance um, You know, a large, mature billy is going to just have that total gorilla look to him where he just looks like a silverback walking on a ridgeline, huge shoulder, huge beard, carries himself slowly and confidently, and uh, is often alone. The manis are going to be in small family groups with their kids, and uh, more often to have young billies hang out with those groups as well. The biggest way to tell the difference, I should say, the, the nail in the coffin is to see them urinate, and... The difference between the two being, just like a lot of animals, right when they get out of their beds, they're they're uh, likely to urinate, and a billy is going to stretch out like a thoroughbred horse and pee in between all four of his legs there, and the nanny kind of squats like a dog. So that is the undeniable uh, attribute that will determine gender for people that are looking at them through a spotting scope.
0: That's great stuff right there. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Tired of relying on out-of-date numbers, spending too much on hunting consultants, and seeing too little results? With Go Hunt Insider, the old way of doing things is over. With the introduction of draw odds and filtering 2.0, you'll have access to the most accurate, up-to-date information in the industry. You can filter by state, species, trophy potential, weapon, specific days or months of the year, harvest success rate, male-to-female ratios, and much more. All of this leads to easily finding the best hunt for you. So what are you waiting for? Visit GoHunt.com slash insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. Okay, Pete, so you told us how to distinguish between a billy and a nanny, and you had talked about the detrimental effects of harvesting a breeding nanny. Um, Go into that a little bit further and explain those ramifications and maybe uh, answer the question of a breeding nanny has how many years to uh, right. Produce young and maybe when do they rut? Also, would be a question I would have. Sure. So
1: a couple couple things to touch on there. And let me say first and foremost, every mountain goat population is different. Um, this just being the general rule of thumb. But we certainly have mountain goat populations that are doing tremendously well. The Willard Peak herd in Utah, the Crazy Mountains of Montana, are both examples of that, where biologists are actually dealing with too many goats. Um, that is not the norm, but that being said, that there, that situation does exist. Um, but as far as what makes the breeding age female and why she's so important, um, you know, mountain goats don't reproduce until their fourth year of life. And with reproduction rates at 65% and average life expectancy of eight years in the wild, only one female goat Uh, one female goat may only successfully contribute three to four kids in her entire life. So you start comparing that to a white tailed deer and it starts to paint a pretty obvious picture to the average sportsman. Um, It's it's just a really slow moving population and they're just sensitive. So when an adult nanny is harvested, all of her future reproductions lost. She's never going to contribute another kid to the mountain and mountain goats, live in what we call a matriarchal society, and that's where the nannies play a key role in educating younger goats about seasonal habitat use and, um, you know, how to to survive on the mountain. So the loss of a dominant nanny can also affect the short-term survival of the entire herd. So we believe that the mountain goat hunter has an elevated responsibility to fully understand those consequences, and know that the decisions they make in the field that they are going to have repercussions long after they pack that goat off the mountain.
0: For sure. Does length of horn uh, play into being able to dif- differentiate between a billy and a nanny, Certainly or not, not exactly? not a
1: giveaway. It's not a uh, characteristic I would, I would bet on. We've seen nannies that are well over 12 inches, and their billy is right up there, too. So some nannies are very deceiving, particularly in their horn construction. I've seen a lot of nannies that have real sweeping curvature to them. And if you see them from one angle, it's man, that's, there's no kink in that horn. It's sweeping back just like a billy should. Sure enough, it's a nanny. So we like to preach to pay attention to every gender identifying attribute, not just one. So again, the goat urinating is the dead giveaway and that's a perfect situation you don't always get to see that so looking at half a dozen different attributes before you make up your mind is really important
0: absolutely um you had talked about the crazies and talked about the uh, willard peak herd what is it with those herds that that are uh, so robust and that the sheep population is is expanding and doing so well
1: So both of those populations are introduced um, Or reintroduced I should say the the Willard Peak area is reintroduced. The crazy mountains are actually were they were never there to begin with but they introduced them back in the 20s um, across the continent introduced mountain goat populations On an average, do really well. They're super robust. They're just they're tough and they're gritty. And introduced populations across the board are just they seem to be burlier. And nobody really has an answer for why that is. And some of these native populations uh, are pretty sensitive. So that's a really glaring, uh, glaring thing when you look at mountain goat populations across the continent some of the mountain goat populations that are doing their worst, almost all of them are native populations and these introduced groups do really well. And it's likely a combination of, you know, you had this great Alpine habitat that wasn't being utilized. And Hey, this biologist was smart enough to put an animal there. uh, And it did really well, but you don't see the type of success in other species introductions as you do in mountain goats. So uh, the crazy is, brought them in in the 20s they did really really well population spiked and then back in I believe it was like the 70s they almost all died so a huge population collapse and nobody knew why and today we probably would do quite a bit more testing on these animals but it was pretty much just chalked up as a uh, implosion of the population and that was that so the mountain goats were almost entirely wiped out of the Crazy Mountains. Hunting was closed for a very long time. Flash forward to twenty sixteen, we have about three hundred and fifty mountain goats in the Crazy Mountains, which is the exact number they had when they all died a couple decades ago. So the regional biologist of the of the Crazy Mountains, Karen Loveless, is uh, you know, living in fear of another population collapse. So, in an effort to avoid that, the Crazy Mountains offer more mountain goat hunting opportunities in several western states combined. So, pretty unique place. Um, And then to move on to Willard, you know, Willard's just a total success story. They started with six goats back in 1994, and then in 2000, they added five more. And I think they've got over 250 mountain goats up there now so willard has been just growing like a weed and utah is very proactive with their mountain goat uh, management and conservation and utilizes that willard peak herd to augment and to seed other mountain goat populations across their state so utah is home to some really impressive mountain goat populations and it's almost all due to the To the hard proactive approach that they've taken with their mountain goat management
0: plan that's fantastic um tell me about the the time frame when the goats will breed the 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 prime breeding sure
1: so it's going to be late late november and you know just like every other animal every every spot's a little different every population is a little different but they're going to rut in late November, and you're going to see a lot of that activity around Thanksgiving. So, um, that's when you're going to see Billy's pursuing nannies real closely, um, getting away from their normal behavior like we see in every other animal during the rut, and possibly making a, a fatal mistake in front of a sportsman, which happened to me in, uh, a couple of years ago here in Montana.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, a lot of times, uh, well, first, let me ask, what what is the typical terrain that the goats will live in, both for billies and nannies?
1: Right. Yeah, The uh, my favorite expression about mountain goats is the, the goat hunt starts where the sheep hunt ends, and that'll probably tick off some of our sheep hunting listeners, but there's a little bit of truth to it. Goats inhabit some gnarly stuff, and it seems to be, the alpine zone that no other animal really wants to touch. And that is for a number of reasons. One, the security and safety of the cliffs. And two, it's just how they've evolved. Um, you spend that much time up there and that's home. So they're built for it. They are incredibly well-designed mammals, completely built for climbing. They're strong as an ox. They have incredible traction and incredible balance. Um, and they're just... designed for the gnarliest spot on the mountain. So the billies like their solitude. You're more likely to see a billy on some crazy uh, solitude cliff off in the distance than a nanny. The nannies have got a job to do and that's to raise their kids and to, you know, live in these big family groups. So they're trying to keep everybody fed and keep everybody safe. Whereas the billies kind of want to be alone most of the year and then moving Later into the hunting season, you're going to see mountain goats grouping up more like, like any other population of animals would during the breeding season. And the billies coming out of some of those gnarly cracks and holes to pursue breeding, breeding a nanny.
0: And what elevations like um, will they be in? Like sure. 11,000 feet and higher or?
1: So they range from the ocean up to the top of the 14ers in Colorado. You know, you've got goats on the coast in British Columbia and Kodiak Island and throughout southeast Alaska. There's even a photo of a goat swimming in the ocean at Homer, Alaska. Um, and then they range all the way down through Canada into Washington and into Oregon and Wyoming and Montana and all the way down. Now into Nevada, which is the most southerly mountain goat population in the world. But I'd say their highest elevation is going to be the 14ers in Colorado. And lowest is going to be right there down by the ocean in Kodiak Island, British Columbia.
0: You know, one thing you didn't talk about is uh, British Columbia and Canada and, and uh, Alaska. Um yep. Are there are there more goats in Canada than the than the United States combined, or where is the biggest population of goats?
1: Definitely British Columbia. British Columbia is the uh, the mecca of mountain goats. There are more goats in Canada than all of America combined, and it's been that way for a long time. Um,
0: what is like the estimated total in Canada? I have to look that up. Um or, or and or what is the estimated total in the United States? Like I mean do we have five thousand animals uh worldwide or do we have, you know, ten thousand or I think we're in ballpark
1: about thirty about twenty to thirty.
0: Okay. And what is it about Canada? Just the habitat that makes it, you know, B C is just perfect habitat for goats?
1: Yeah, you know, it's just kind of an endless ocean of perfect mountain goat habitat. Um British Columbia is big, wild, and untamed, and that's exactly what the mountain goats need. So down in the lower 48, we have these micro-populations inhabiting a you know, small spot here and a small spot there. In British Columbia, it's a, a huge swath of land that runs almost the entire providence of uh, mountain goat country. So just the expansion and the, the remoteness of that, perfect habitat i think is what bolsters their numbers so high there
0: so with the rocky mountain goat alliance is has canada been accepting of the rocky mountain goat alliance and is there any um you know are there members from bc and from canada and is there efforts or will there be efforts for the goat alliance to be involved uh with the canadians
1: yes absolutely um we have Great relationships with several of the Canadian provinces that are uh, home to mountain goats. We have the leading mountain goat coastal biologist of British Columbia sits on our board, his name is Steve Gordon. Uh, coastal Alaskan regional biologist of mountain goats, Kevin White, also sits on our board. So we've got some of the heavy hitters of the region. British Columbia gets tricky as far as orchestrating a volunteer effort because of the remoteness of the country. Whereas in South Dakota or the crazy mountains or anywhere else that we work uh, access, all things considered is, is doable. Um, British Columbia, the expanses are so big. You just simply can't get people out there. So now that the organization is growing and our uh, membership's growing, and our fundraising is expanding. We have the opportunity to influence mountain good conservation through other avenues. Rather than grassroots boots on the trail, um, we can start writing checks, and we can start funding research, and we can pay for the helicopter time. So moving forward in places like Alaska and British Columbia, rather than seeing these large organic movements of, Uh, volunteers hitting the trails, you'll likely see more funding uh, behind Providence and State projects.
0: That's great stuff. It sounds like there's a big groundswell and a lot of momentum, uh, you know, behind you. Uh, What was the year that you started the the, uh, Goat Alliance again?
1: i walked into Julie Cunningham's office on January of 2013. We incorporated and became a federally tax-exempt 501c3 nonprofit about a year later.
0: Fantastic. So, I mean, literally, the the alliance is, is, I mean, basically brand new. It's not too old, and it's already had some uh, great uh, things going on. Uh, What... Back to one question that uh, what do billies, you know, mature billies and, you know, mature nannies weigh in, in pounds? Sure.
1: Um, the best comparison I've heard is that of a mule deer. So your average mule deer is going to be in the ballpark of 120 to 180 pounds. But a big, big mule deer buck is going to go over 200 pounds and he's going to be a 250 pounds, just giant. Mountain goat kids are the smallest North American ungulate going into their first winter. So that means six-month-old six mountain goat kids are the smallest North American animal that we hunt. Um, so they've, they've got a pretty tough hand dealt to them going into their first winter on the mountain.
0: Is that a function of when, when the breeding season is and when they're born? You know yeah, what is the is gestation What yeah, is that be, gestation period of like 180 days?
1: Yeah, it'd be late late November to mid May. The kids are all going to start showing up mid May. Um, Everywhere is a little different, but they'll start showing up then and putting their growth rings on their horns every winter.
0: That's awesome. They're cute little buggers too, aren't oh, they? Oh man, they're adorable. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, what, what do you say to the person out there that says that hunters are not conservationists and if you're trying to conserve and protect an animal, why would you hunt them? What would your answer be?
1: Sure. Um, that, that person would unfortunately be highly uneducated on the topic, but the raw financial figures behind where management dollars and conservation dollars come from is just completely undeniable. Um, hunters are the guys cut, cutting the checks and, and keeping these animals on the mountain and employing the people that take care of them on a day-to-day basis. And this just a completely undeniable aspect of our Pitsman-Robertson Act and where this money is actually coming from. So uh, the hunters are passionate about it more so than anyone else. And, you know, the mountain goat kind of lives out of sight, out of mind to everybody else. And we are trying to change that.
0: Is it somewhat frustrating to you? And obviously it is because you're so passionate about it and you you, you started this alliance. um, Some of the other animals getting huge attention and huge dollars thrown at it. Um, it just seems like, you know, animals like the Rocky Mountain goat were forgotten and you're trying to change that. But still, I, I've got to think it's frustrating to see some of the other animals get way more conservation dollars and way more attention. And, you know, what can be done to bring more light to the situation?
1: Right. Um, the the alliance can be done. That, that's a big part of why we started it to to raise the exposure and to raise the awareness um you know if we had four different species of goats in america maybe they'd be more popular to the very affluent trophy hunters that uh so generously fund sheep conservation um that being said there are some pretty die-hard goats goat guys out there and i think a lot of people the enthusiasm i get to see on a day-to-day basis is people are really passionate about mountain goats and really just didn't have anywhere to channel that. And the mountain goat is really special and is really important to a lot of people in North America. And, you know, the, the conservation movement just wasn't there. So now it is. And uh, we're just going to try to keep our momentum and make the biggest influence we can.
0: That's fantastic. Um, well, let's take a quick break here, here from our sponsors. Utah Hydrographics is in the Water Transfer Printing Service and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camo patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at utahhydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, Antelope, Bighorn Sheep, or Moose, Western Hunter, and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Okay, Pete, uh, for those people that that are listening that want to support the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, uh, I want you to tell them directly what the best thing they can do to help you is.
1: Sure, yeah, if... uh... If you've hunted goats, if you love goats, if you care about mountain goats' future on this continent, I strongly encourage you to visit goatalliance.org and purchase a membership. An annual membership is only 35 bucks, and you will be funding the loan conservation movement specifically for Rocky Mountain goats in North America. Uh, memberships are available through the website that we offer. A annual membership for $35, a three-year membership for $100, and a lifetime membership of a very affordable one—I'm sorry, $500. So, several different opportunities there. If you're an outfitter or a guide or a taxidermist who would like to be a business sponsor of our organization, they're available for $250 a year. And we provide exposure through our newsletter and our social media platforms, and you too will be helping fund the leading conservation efforts for goats
0: that's awesome um, and are, do you travel around um, bringing awareness and and how how do you approach new members and what is your you know what are what are your goals with the alliance
1: sure um, definitely expansion of membership is high on the list and we solicit the majority of our members through trade shows so through the winter time we we travel the country and um, kind of shout from the mountaintops are what we do here at the Goat Alliance at trade shows, and we do very well at trade shows soliciting memberships. Um, our goals would be to increase volunteer opportunities for members to get people uh, out on the trails, and then the most important thing that we're focused on moving forward is this public education initiative. So, whereas these volunteer efforts have, uh, you know, great, great side effects, just maybe on these very local, small scales, the educational project we're working on has the potential to positively benefit mountain goat populations across North America overnight. So, you provide state-of-the-art educational materials to mountain goat hunters from Nevada all the way up to Alaska and you suddenly have made, made a, a big impression on every mountain hunter um, that, that's going to be pursuing mountain goats. So whereas our volunteer projects are very localized, the educational efforts have, a, have an opportunity to create a continental wide move in the right direction for mountain goat conservation.
0: What do you see as the single biggest threat to mountain goats, uh, the, the the animal themselves?
1: Sure, um, mismanagement is a is is dangerous thing. Um, you see, mountain goat populations that perhaps get over hunted for too long, and due to their reproductive cycles, are very slow to recover, if ever. Um, so, a lot of states, Montana included. Our public interest and our, our funding is focused in other areas where you have a mountain goat population that'll get surveyed once every four or five years. And we've got sheep populations that get counted once, maybe twice a year. So refocusing some of our our public attention and our funding to the mountain goat can solve a lot of that. So that's where we step in and assist, you know, donating donating our time and our boot leather to increase the uh the management
0: that's great stuff um my wife and i spend the summers in colorado and um for about five years we were in vale colorado and we used to do quite a bit of hiking in the gore uh, mountain range there and uh, it was really cool we hiked up to gore lake and um as soon as we crested over the hill and could see the lake i looked up kind of To the left of the lake kind of like you know up like two or three hundred yards and I saw I couldn't really tell what it was because it was still far enough away but I thought for sure it was a mountain goat and there were kind of little patches of snow around and such and it was kind of one of those where we were kind of squinting and it was in the trees and it wasn't moving so we you know we just decided we'd keep walking towards the lake and Um, we kind of went through some trees and we came around. We got to the lake, and by the time we got to the lake, that goat had seen us and actually walked down to us. I had my backpack and my fly rod. I was going to try and catch a couple of cutthroat trout. Um, and just, I didn't even know if there were fish up there. But, uh, as I was breaking my rod or putting my rod together, the goat kind of breaks out of the trees and um, we spent the better part of the afternoon with this uh, Billy, and um, we got some phenomenal photos, and he just kind of followed us around all afternoon, and it was an unbelievable experience, something we, we've we got a few pictures hanging in our house, uh, and it's something that we talk about a lot, and that, uh, you know, this, this goat was, you know, just, he, he would get about 10 yards from us and we wouldn't get any closer. That's just, you know, he just, but we would kind of work our way over and, you know, sit on a rock and he would kind of just ease his way over feeding and what have you. And it was one of the coolest experiences, uh, that we've ever had. And, um, you know, it was, it was just interesting that, that he was so curious about us that he was willing to, you know, let his guard down and, uh, you know, come trust us. And, it was it was really cool. Have you had anything like that happen before?
1: Oh yeah, I've had lots of cool experiences, pretty similar to that. Um, you yeah, know, that'll that typically only happens where the mountain goats are fairly habituated, which is a handful of spots that a lot of people frequent. Um, just outside of Bozeman, Montana, here we have the Bridger Mountain Range, and the highest peak in the Bridgers is a mountain called Sacajoya. And Sacagawea is home to lots of mountain goats. And there's a very well-used trail right up to the top. And it's about a 2,000-foot climb. And you can have some pretty memorable experiences with mountain goats up there. Um, you also run into situations uh, like you do with any other habituated animal where problems can arise from that situation. Dogs have been gored. Uh, you know, just that the lack of space between wild animal and human um, doesn't always get respected. So sometimes situations can arise. Um, There was a gentleman in Olympic national park in 2010 that actually was fatally gored by a mountain goat. And uh, the national park has since proposed the removal of all mountain goats from Olympic national Park. So that's a, another hot topic out there on the West coast.
0: Yeah. Well, the, you know, the reality is that, uh, people should be more aware of the wild animals. And, um, you know, if, if if in fact that uh, goat would have come and gored, uh, my wife or I, uh, that would have been our own fault for getting that close to it. So I hope people realize that, you know, when you do have those experiences with wild animals, uh, you're in their territory and, uh, you know, if you get too close, they have every right to, you know, butt you with their horns. So, um, You know, it's just unfortunate that things like that happen. Um, I want to talk to you about Stone Glacier Packs, but before I do that, I want to make sure that from your perspective, we covered uh, everything about mountain goats and the Goat Alliance, um, and you've given ample opportunity for people to uh, find out where you're at and so that they can support uh, the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance.
1: Yeah, I just encourage anyone and everyone who's, mildly interested or passionate about mountain goats to join us uh, in the field. We'll be having conservation projects all over the place this coming summer. They're all getting kind of put on the calendar as we speak. And show your support. Buy a hat, buy a membership, and, and join join the Alliance with us. We need all the support we can get.
0: Yeah, and I would even go as far to say, Pete, is I'm gonna join right right after we talk here for sure. Very good. And and you know the reality is I, I I may never hunt mountain goats, but the the it comes down to uh, supporting uh, an animal that other sportsmen do get to enjoy, and $35 a year to support. Uh, an animal in a conservation group is nothing. I mean, we spend $35 when we go out to, to dinner and have a yep. couple hamburgers. So, um, it, you know, it, it's I appreciate you saying, you know, the people that are passionate about goats, but I would encourage listeners who live down here in Arizona that don't even have, you know, I've got a bunch of listeners in Arizona all over the country, but even if you don't have mountain goats, know that your $35 is going to go uh, to, to an organization headed by Pete who has an extreme passion to keep the animal uh, moving in a good direction. So I would just encourage all the listeners to uh, listen to this podcast and definitely spend the $35 and think very, very hard about becoming a life member and spending $500 uh, to support an animal that uh, you know you may or may not get to hunt, but know that there's a lot of sportsmen that do and uh every little bit counts and um you know, also I would encourage if there's people out there that would like to make bigger donations, uh I'm sure Pete, if you contact Pete through the Goat Alliance, I'm sure he can figure out ways that people can uh if you want to write a big check, uh this is a great organization to do that and I encourage you if it, it's on your heart to do that, uh, you know, what an opportunity to help out uh a awesome animal and um so get a hold of pete for sure and um let's let's support these uh, rocky mountain goats
1: very good thank you very much
0: yeah that that uh, well thanks for informing us about the goats i want to talk to you about stone glacier sure. and um your your responsibilities at stone glacier and uh Uh, You know, maybe for the listener out there that's not aware of Stone Glacier, what Stone Glacier is all about.
1: Sure. Uh, Stone Glacier is a Montana-based ultralight backpack company started and founded by Kurt Roscoe, who is my boss and the designer of our backpacks. Um, I'm the general manager of Stone Glacier. I've been working with Kurt for three and a half years now, just for about exactly as long as the backpacks have been sold publicly. Um I believe it was in 2012, Kurt came to Schnee's with uh, Generation One with Stone Glacier and entered into a retail exclusive agreement with Schnee's, where Schnee's was the only company selling the backpacks for a while, and uh, that's where I happened to work, and Kurt and I hit it off very well, and I was putting, building backpacks after hours in my garage for them, and running around, doing errands and getting stuff to the mail and just kind of day one stuff on the Stone Glacier timeline. But it really was the foundation of the career I have now and the relationship I have with Kurt now. I guess it was September two thousand and fourteen 2014. Um, I left Schnee's to pursue Stone Glacier full-time. And that same winter... We rebuilt our website, we got a shop here in Bozeman, moved operations out of our houses and into our big shop and showroom that we now have in Bozeman, and uh, just kind of poured gas on the fire. It was obvious that we were going to something pretty, pretty good here, and Kurt had designed an extremely well engineered product, and people were into it. So we we decided to jump right in. Head first into it and it's been a lot of fun and it's been very successful.
0: Tell me about your different backpacks. I actually have a brochure in front of me that I that uh, you gave me when I yeah. was at the uh, Conservation Expo, but explain to people that don't know about your packs uh, a little bit about them.
1: Sure, so it's an ultralight modular designed backpack um, on an external frame. So. We have everything ranging from small day packs in the 17 and 1800 cubic inch range all the way up to Goliath 7400 cubic inch backpacks and everything in between. So all of our backpacks are built on our same Crux frame and that Crux frame is, gets its structure from carbon, carbon composite stays. And on the backside of that frame is our Keystone load shelf which is the load hauling capabilities between our frame and bag. And beyond that is the selection of bags, which range from the little bay packs all the way up to the big giant sheep hunting packs.
0: So. And what material are the packs made out of?
1: The majority of the bag is Cordura 500, which is a material several backpack manufacturers use. It's a very robust, very durable, water-resistant fabric. Uh, We also build with a fabric called X-Pack. X-Pack is 100% waterproof, and we've incorporated that into certain areas of our frame and backpack where we felt we needed a waterproof fabric, those areas being the frame, the load shelf, the backside of the backpack, and the bottom of the backpack. And the reason being for that is if you're packing, 80 pounds of bloody meat in a load shelf. We don't want blood saturating into your bag, into your clothing and gear. We don't want blood saturating through the frame to you. And if you were to set your backpack down into wet grass, we don't want anything penetrating through the bottom panel of our backpack. So we incorporated water 100% waterproof fabrics where we saw necessary um, and maintained a very minimalist design in doing so.
0: What kind of weights are we talking uh, on some of these pa- backpacks? Not only the weight of the pack, but some of the carrying capacity as well.
1: Yeah, they range from between three and five pounds, and we load rate them up to 150. And that's a pretty heavy backpack. With anybody that's ever saddled up that much weight before, uh, it'd be hard to, hard to walk with much more than that. That being said, Kurt has tested his frame uh, far beyond the hundred and fifty advertised load rating to investigate what the uh what the limit would be and he was unable to find it so i think he was welding hundred pound steel plates together and got up to like four or five hundred pounds or something and just couldn't pick it up anymore he was picking it up with a crane and then he'd put it on his back and release it release it off the crane and he was just trying to test it to its breaking point and never found it
0: wow that's cool
1: There's some photos of it on our website there.
0: So you are the general manager, and part of that job is you're putting backpacks together constantly.
1: That's right. Yep. It's a pretty uh, labor-intensive assembly that happens here in Montana. Backpacks are 100% made in America from start to finish, and um, the majority of the assembly happens right here in Bozeman, Montana, so... It's a pretty technical piece of gear, and it requires quite a bit of, of time and uh, fancy finger work to get them built up and out the door, so quite a bit of time invested into each backpack by the time they're shipped out the door.
0: And for the listeners out there, they can go to StoneGlacier.com and see more about uh, the backpacks and all the different models and styles. Definitely. Have you guys heard about Phonescope? Phonescope is a privately held company that makes custom molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. Phonescope stands behind their product with a 100% money back guarantee. Phonescope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the J. Scott 16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at Phonescope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at Phonescope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order. And have you been using these on a bunch of your hunting ad- adventures and on some of these surveys and such that you've been going on?
1: Yeah, I have. I've been using them exclusively for going on four years now, and um, I'm I'm the biggest fan there is I I'm I think it's an incredibly well-engineered backpack and just Every backpack, we like to say, every backpack, you know, does well with 20 pounds in it. When you get that 80, 100 pounds in a pack is when things start to show their true colors. And the stone glacier design in the crux frame shows its true colors with that kind of weight. And it's incredibly comfortable. And it's unbelievable how many veteran mountain hunters we have saddle up in our frames and are just mind, just totally mind blown by one, how light the setup was to begin with, and two, how comfortable a heavy load actually is and how secure that heavy load is on your back due to the design of our load shelf.
0: Awesome stuff. Uh, Can you give me a kind of hearing conclusion uh, for the listeners out there that are kind of new to backpacking? uh, If you were planning a backpack hunt, uh, how would you load your pack as far as you know, lightest stuff, heaviest stuff. Walk me through a little bit how that would work.
1: Sure. Um, So the physics behind our frame is the idea of keeping the heaviest part of your load closest to your center of gravity. And so the point there being the further away heavy stuff migrates away from your back, i.e. your center of gravity, the more it's going to pull you backwards. We can't change gravity you know, 100 pounds is 100 pounds is 100 pounds. What you can do is change the effects that that 100 pounds is going to put on your body and how that negatively will affect you while hiking or packing that heavy load. So the idea of vertically orienting heavy things up and down your back as close to your center of gravity as possible results in the least amount of forces working against you. So if I was packing a backpack, um, I always put my sleeping bag in the bottom, and then I try to work at an angle, working my heaviest stuff uh, from the outside of the bag, from the bottom outside of the bag to the top inside of the frame, orienting heavier stuff so the heaviest part of my load, kind of right between my shoulder blades. If you're packing meat or an animal, that's your heaviest part. So uh, pretty obviously the meat or the cape or the horns is going to go into the load shelf area and be compressed directly against that frame
0: great stuff there um thank you for those tips for sure and uh thank you pete for being on we had a great time today and um i just uh encourage anyone out there listening to one check out uh, stoneglacier.com, and for sure to check out the rocky mountain goat alliance and you said that the website is goatalliance.com. Is that correct? It's dot .org. Dot .com will dot get org. you there, but the domain's dot .org. Okay, dot .org. And um, how's things in Montana? Has spring finally started to, to sprung? Or <laughs> yeah, I
1: think, I think they forgot to have a winter. It's, uh, it's about 52 and sunny outside right now, so I think there might be some bears walking around out there.
0: Really? So, didn't have much of a winter at all? Pretty mild, yeah. You know, we had some good snow in
1: December, um, and then things kind of tapered off pretty quickly there.
0: Now, you guys can still get some pretty healthy snows in March and April, right?
1: Yeah, maybe even May or June.
0: Yeah. What Are the rivers, are the guys getting fired up, and are you starting to see more drift boats in town and such? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yet? Just this past weekend was kind of the, the flip. The flip of the switch, it seemed to be drift boats all over Main Street, and I had countless buddies hit the river this past weekend and do really well, so spring fishing is certainly upon us.
0: Are they talking about blue-winged olives yet, or what? midge fishing, or what is it?
1: I think it's just a lot of midge fishing. Yeah, I didn't go out this past weekend, but I had a a close group of friends fish the uh, upper Madison River around Ennis, Montana this past weekend and just absolutely crushed it, so happening
0: cool it's happening well pete i really appreciate you spending time with us and uh coming on and it was great to meet you up in utah and uh i appreciate your support of my podcast and uh i just uh, look forward to seeing you again down the road here and uh, keep up the great work uh guys like yourself that uh, devote uh their volunteer time to You know, be passionate about an animal. Uh, You know, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to, uh, you know, spend as much time as you do. And uh, you do a lot of things and don't get thank you. So, you know, I know that's not why you do it, but I I just want to say thank you for your hard work and thanks for your passion for uh, that special animal and um, keep up the great work there.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And thank you very much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it.
0: All right, buddy, you take care, okay?
1: Okay, CJ. All
0: right, bye.